Well, um, just so those of you who maybe don't attend regularly, I'm, I'm one of the pastors, but I don't preach regularly, so I want to just take a quick moment before I begin just to say um, how grateful I am to be here at Cherry Hills, to be sharing life with all of you, to doing ministry with you. Uh, these last two and a half years have been really a joy, so I just want to take a moment to say that. I really appreciate uh, serving together with you, uh, serving the Lord. So we're in a series, uh, we're in the book of Daniel, the, the Old Testament book of Daniel, called No Matter What. And we're looking at Daniel's life. He, he was a prophet for Israel, for Judah, uh, in the exile. Uh, this was when uh, the kingdom of Babylon came in and took all the people away, most of the people away, to their country. And so they're in exile, they're not living in their land. And so we're looking at the life of Daniel during this time. And so uh, you're going to see this over and over. We're, we're coming back to this idea. So if you're following along in the notes, here's the big idea of the entire series. No matter what, God is in control. No matter what, God is in control. And we've actually got these uh, available for you. Last week we put these on the chairs. Maybe you got one. If you didn't, they're actually in the back as you walk out. We've got these and a sticker. But this is a timeline. So you can kind of see what's going on throughout this entire story uh, in the life of Daniel, in the kingdom of Babylon, what's, been, what's happening, what God has been doing. And so we're looking at how, throughout all of this, God is in control. No matter what happens, no matter what comes, God is in control. Now, I want to raise a, a, an assumption, I think, within this. Uh, I think there's this idea that we're, we're working with that especially applies to our, our passage today. Um, so if you're following along in the notes, here, here's the assumption, here's the idea. We all orient our lives to something. We all orient our lives to something. There's something that uh, helps us to run our lives, that, that helps us uh, know what choices to make, to know what to do when something happens, how, to, how we build our schedules, how we use our time. Uh, there's always something, I think, that we orient our lives to. Now, this thing could be good. It could be bad. It could be not so good. Uh, some of these things could be your family. How you, the kids' schedules, you got practice and rehearsal, and so you feel like your life is oriented around that. Or maybe it's your job. You've got a pretty uh, intense job, lots of time spent uh, needing to be on call for certain things. Maybe, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your to-do list. You got a to-do list, and like, man, that has got to be priority. And that's what you orient your life to. Or maybe it's something that's um, imposed upon you like a cancer diagnosis. You know, something that, that you don't want, but man, you're oriented around your chemo treatments. Or maybe it's something like family tension. You love your family, but man, it is hard to get along with them. And so you're really careful about how you spend holidays, how you, you spend weekends with them. You, you, your life is oriented to family. I think we're oriented to something. We all follow something. Something drives us, helps us to make choices. What's yours? What's the thing that you orient your life to? And maybe the better question is, what should it be? What should you be orienting your life to? Well, I think our, our story today is going to help us unpack this. And we're in the book of Daniel, chapter 2 today. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you didn't bring one, you can find these black ones in the seat racks in front of you. Go ahead and grab that. If you don't own one, take this with you. Uh, we'd love for you to have it as our gift to you. No charge. Take it. It's yours. 
Um, and if you're going to use that one, the, the page number is 613, just to help you find it there. So Daniel chapter 2. Now this is a pretty big story. There's a lot of verses in this, so I'm going to summarize a lot of it. We'll read little bits here and there, but I'm just going to kind of tor- story tell some of it, uh, just so that we can get a picture of what's happening. Um, so just as a reminder, Daniel... We're looking at Daniel's life, and he was exiled to Babylon. Now, the king at this time is Nebuchadnezzar. He's the one that that sieged uh, Jerusalem and took the people away, and he's having dreams, and they bother him. He can't sleep at night. And so what he does is, this is pretty common practice for back then, especially for kings, he calls all the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers. He's like, all right, I need help. Come help me. And he's like, I want, you to, I want you to help me out with this dream. What, what's it mean? And they're like, okay, tell us the dream. Tell us the dream. He's like, actually, you tell me the dream and the interpretation. They're like, no, 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 no. Come on, tell us the dream. We'll, we'll interpret it for you. And he's like, no, you tell me the dream and the interpretation. If you do, I'm going to give you lots of riches. I'm going to make you great in the kingdom, and it's going to be a good thing for you. And if you don't, I'm going to cut you to pieces, burn your house down, and destroy your life. I mean, okay, whoa. <laughs> So they're like, tell us the dream. They go back and forth, and we get this statement. So if you look down in verse 10, verse 10 and 11, this is their response ultimately to the king's request. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. We, we get this statement of like, we can't do that. Now, it might be helpful for us here just to kind of connect the dots. Because, you know, maybe we don't interact with magicians or enchanters or astrologers all that much in our lives. Um, but I think what they represent for us is this. It's human effort to control life. So if you're following along in the notes... The magicians, the astrologers, they represent human effort to control life. I mean, that's, that's part of us, isn't it? I know I, I do everything I can to make sure I'm in control of my schedule, of what's happening around me, and it's, that's part of who we are, I think. You know, look at, look at science or, or technology or medicine. Over the last few hundred years, we've made huge strides in those arenas. And now we have a lot of ability, a lot of power to manipulate, to control our environment, to, to make certain outcomes a reality. And I don't think this is all bad, but I think what we see here with these people, the astrologers, is that there are limits. They say, we can't do it. I don't know about you, but have you ever gotten to that place where you're just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know the way forward. I don't know how to handle what's coming at me. There are limits. We get to those moments where we're at the end of our rope and we're just like, we don't know what to do. I I think that's what's happening here. You see, these astrologers, they had these scrolls, they they would open up and as people had dreams, they'd say, okay, the sun means this and the brown grass means this, so there's gonna be suffering, you're gonna be happy about it, you know. They're they're trying to interpret via these scrolls, but they reach an endpoint. I think we do too. We get to those moments where we're like, I'm at the end of my rope. And I think that's, that's what we see here. 
They're admitting a powerlessness. Now, imagine how this makes the king feel. He's infuriated. He is, he's angry. He's like, you, you promised me that you're going to be able to help me through life, and yet you can't deliver. So what he says, kill them all. Let's get rid of them. Well, where Daniel and his friends enter the story is that they were wise men. And so they're being lumped in, and they're going to be executed as well. So Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, shows up at Daniel's door, and he's like, hey, here's what's happening. You have to die. Daniel's like, oh, okay, you know, what do we do about this? And he talks with him, and he convinces him to let him go see the king. And the Bible says that he went with wisdom and tact to the king and asked for more time, and the king granted it. I I find that interesting, that God helped him in such a way to use, use a way that he could ask for more time, and so the king granted it. So what does Daniel do? Let's pick up reading in verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God, from the God of heaven, concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So Daniel's first response at the face of execution is to go pray. Is to pray. And then he, he offers up this beautiful song of praise to the Lord after he, he reveals the dream. And so then what happens is he goes back to Arioch, the, the commander, and says, I, I've got it. Let's go to the king. And so we pick up in verse 26. The king asked Daniel, who was also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were laying in bed are these. What we see that the astrologers, the magicians, the enchanters, they cannot do, God can. Where they are at their limit, their end of the rope, God comes through. Because God is a revealer. God is the type of God who wants to reveal, who shows us who he is. God reveals. Why? What is it about God that prompts him to do this? Why does God, the type of God, who can reveal? I think there are two reasons. And so if you're following along in the notes, the first one is this. Only God can reveal because overall he is in control. Only God can reveal because overall he is in control. 
in verses 21 and 22 in, in Daniel's song of praise, it says he changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises them up. He gives wisdom and knowledge. This is the type of God because he is in control. He, he's the one that's directing things. He's the one that, that's ordering the course of history. He has power where we don't. So God is in control. So the, the astrologers, when they, when they talked about, we can't do this, they got one thing right. It's only the gods. It's only the gods that can do that, and, and, and we can't. It's because God is in control. He's the one that's sitting on the throne. He's the one that's directing history. But there's one thing that they got wrong. There's one thing that they got wrong, and this, is, this is the, has to do with the second reason. It, it says that, they, that the gods don't live among humans. Actually, that's not true. There's a verse in John chapter 1 that talks about how Jesus, who is, who is the fullness of God, comes to live among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus, who is the word, became flesh, who made his dwelling among us. Astrologers, they think the gods don't live with us. They are not here on earth. But Jesus came. God comes to us. He meets us where we are. He is the type of God that comes down because he loves us. I think that's the second reason why God reveals. So if you're following along in the notes, God reveals because he loves and cares for us. God reveals because he loves and cares for us. He loves us enough that he wants to come himself and show himself to us. He reveals because he loves us. An image that comes to mind, I don't know if this is helpful for you, but when you think about kings or nations going to battle, they don't tell each other what they're going to do, right? I mean, the element of surprise is pretty valuable. They don't want each other to know what they're going to do, and so they keep things a secret. Well, if God were against us, why is he telling us how things are going to go? See, in the story, he's revealing himself. He's revealing the, the course of history. Why would he share that if he didn't love us, if he were against us? I think God shares this with us. I think he shows us what's to come because he loves us and he wants us to join in with it. It is an act of mercy, an act of grace that God reveals. That he, he shows us what's coming, shows us his plan, shows us who he is. This, this became real for me. Um, I, I preached the Bible message, uh, the Bible challenge message in January or December um, last year. And uh, one of the things I shared about was my sister Kaylee. Uh, and I won't go into a lot of detail, but she got sick and passed away. And, and one of the things that was really helpful and important for me was John chapter 11. I studied that text when she got sick, and um, the Lord just helped me understand it in a new way. And I didn't even know to the extent that I would need the truth in that text throughout that journey, that, that hardest moment probably in my entire life. You see, God revealed himself to me in studying that passage. He helped me to know what the type of God that he is, who he is, and what he's doing. He revealed himself to me when I needed him most. And I shared about that. You can go back and listen to more of that story from that, that message. Um, but there was another instance when I was in college. 
Um, I went to Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I, I remember there was a time that I became very confronted with the reality of poverty. I just, I'd seen it, I'd seen it play out, and I got frustrated about it. I got angry almost. Angry about the fact that it exists. Angry at people, angry at myself, because I had when other people didn't. I even got angry at God. And I was like, God, why is this like this? Why does it have to be like this? Well, it was during this time that I had a friend who was uh, working with a church in the inner city um, who, who did a lot of this type of ministry. And I also was taking a class. And it was in these two things that God helped me to understand that he is a God of justice. He is a God of justice, and he cares about the poor. He cares about those who are um, taken advantage of. And he showed that was on the cross, that God makes things right. He showed me that on the cross, there is good news to the poor. There's freedom to the captive. And and God, during that process, through other people and through study and and learning about this idea, that I, I realized that he was caring for me in all of this. My questions weren't invalid. He didn't say, how dare you? But rather, he's like, let me show you. You see, God revealed himself to me through that. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, yes, I can relate to that. I know what that's like. I need to be reminded of that. Maybe you're faced with something right now that you just don't see the way forward. And the reminder for you that God loves you, that he cares for you, that he will reveal himself to you is good news. But maybe you're here, and you're like, God's never done that for me. I've never seen that. When has God given me that sort of glimpse? Can I humbly submit to you that right now, in this room, at this moment, God is revealing himself to you. Through Daniel chapter 2, The life of Daniel and this story, God wants to show you something about who he is. Now, maybe you won't realize what it is. It may not come together for you or click in your mind for maybe another year down the road. But God wants to bring you to that place where I get it. I know a little bit more about you. And it may be a year. It may be like, oh, I remember that message from Daniel 2 and how God did this in my life. I challenge you is maybe look for that. Take the rest of our time together this morning and seek that. Say, God, what is it you want to show me? Because I guarantee he loves you and he wants to. Okay, so God reveals because he's in control and because he loves us. Now, for some of you, you know this story, you know what's coming. There's this dream. Now, it might be helpful uh, for us just to briefly take a pause and, and talk about dreams. Because some of you, it's like, okay, we got to talk about this, otherwise I'm not going to be here, you know, and I'm going to be bothered by this. Pastor Jeff last week talked very brief, briefly about this. Uh, as a pastoral staff, we've come to an agreement, all, we all agree on this, this idea that God, he is still speaking in the sense that he's, he uses things like dreams. But probably some qualifications or some clarity might be helpful. Um, so one of, the, one of the things that might be able to, to be helpful to you is, is this sort of list. I think God speaks in four categories. And maybe you want to write this down if that's helpful to you. He speaks through scripture, number one. Other believers. 
the ticker of our mind. Jeff has talked about that before. You know, things that go across your, your, the thought processes, the ticker of your mind. And number four, supernatural means. So scripture, other believers, ticker of your mind, and supernatural means. Now, when we talk about all these types of things, uh, I think it's really good that we put Scripture first because God is not revealing anything new. There's a, there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 1 that talks about how God spoke to the people uh, in the past and now how he speaks through Jesus. And so you can read this with me. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. When Jesus came, Jesus came as the full revelation of God, of who he is and what he's doing. So in Jesus, we get the full picture of God. There's nothing new that we have. What God is doing now is he's applying the fullness of truth to our lives today. It's reapplication for us in our context. And so the scriptures are special because they testify to Jesus. They say, here's who he is. Here's what he's done. They give us a picture of the person of Christ. Now, it's in these other ways, other people, thoughts that go across our mind or feelings, or maybe even on occasion dreams or visions, that God will take the truth of scripture and apply it to us. But we always, always test it against the scriptures. Anytime you feel like you're in a conversation with somebody and you're talking about truth and you're like, hmm, I'm not sure. What do, we, what do we think about that? You come back to the scriptures to find out if God is speaking in that way. I, I found it most helpful when I'm, I'm digging into a passage and even, even this last week talking about Daniel 2. It's like, you know, I'm just trying to wrestle through it. I had conversations with a couple of people. They just helped me see what God was trying to say in Daniel 2. But it was through other people that I heard some of the language. I'm like, oh, it's starting to click for me. I think God uses other people. I think sometimes he'll put ideas through our heads like, hmm, is that from God? We always, always test it to the scriptures. Now, we do think God still does reveal himself through dreams. Pastor Jeff last week mentioned how people in ISIS, these Muslims, are having dreams of Christ and are coming to salvation. Like God can do that, and he does. Though that probably tends to be more the exception than the rule. So I hope this is helpful for you, but this, this chapter is not a blueprint for how do we hear from God. That's not the thrust of it. That's not what it's trying to do. What it's trying to say is God is revealer and is revealing something. I hope that's helpful for you. Um, we don't want to spend too much time on it, but the, the thrust of where we're going is about what God is revealing. So God is revealer. What is he revealing? I think it's his kingdom. So let, let's turn to the dream. Basically what happens is Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of a giant statue. And there are four metals that make up this statue. It's got a head of gold, um, arms and chest of silver, an abdomen and waist of bronze, and legs of iron with clay mixed in at the feet. So these, these four different metals. And then what happens is this rock that's cut out from a mountain, not by human hands, comes and breaks the statue. And all the pieces fall and they scatter like chaff in the wind. And then this rock becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. That was the dream that Daniel tells him. 
Now, when I thought about, like, okay, chaff, what is that? You know, maybe this is helpful. When I, when I was younger, uh, my family, we'd go up to my grandparents' farm, especially during the harvest time when they're, they're harvesting the crops, and we'd ride in the combine. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these big machines that are, that are moving through the fields, um, but what they do is they, they harvest the grain. We've got a picture of it coming up here, and what it does is it goes through, and it's, it's taking all the grain, all the good stuff, and keeping it, it throws all the waste out the back. That's the chaff. That's the stuff that's being shot out. That's, that's useless. And that's what these metals of the statue are like. They're being shot out like the back of a combine. And they disappear. They go into the wind. Well, what Daniel says in terms of interpretation, what this means, these are four kingdoms. And these four kingdoms are going to blow away like chaff in the wind. Now, most scholars think that um, these kingdoms are these four. And Daniel names this one, that Nebuchadnezzar, he's the, the head of gold. He says that God gives you power and dominion. You are the head of gold. And then after you will rise several kingdoms in order with decreasing um, in, uh, in splendor. They won't be as, as brilliant as yours. But the, most scholars think that Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon is the first one, and then the Medo-Persian Empire, which came after him, is the second Greece is the third, and then Rome is the fourth. And then we culminate after Rome with this rock. And the rock is Jesus. So if you're following along in the notes, the rock symbolizes Jesus and God's kingdom. The rock symbolizes Jesus and God's kingdom. You see, God is basically trying to say, here's how history is going to play out. My kingdom comes. And it wipes away all the other kingdoms. And it's going to stand forever. You see, at the very end, this is what Daniel says, that that God's kingdom will fill the whole earth. It will not be passed down to a new people. And it will endure forever and not be destroyed. This is the point of the dream. This is what God is trying to say to Nebuchadnezzar. God's kingdom is going to triumph. God's kingdom is going to triumph. So, if you're following along in the notes, here's the summary of the dream. God brings about his kingdom and sweeps away human kingdoms. God brings about his kingdom and sweeps away human kingdoms. God's kingdom will last. Other kingdoms won't. Now, what does this have to do with us? How does this play out for us? He was talking to Nebuchadnezzar, who's a king, who has a kingdom. Well, I think for us, maybe the parallel comes with the astrologers and and the magicians. You see, for them, uh, their kingdom was their ability to control their own life. You know, they would go to their scrolls and be able to, all right, this means this, so we should do this. And that's where they put their trust. That's what directed their life. That's how they made their decisions. So I don't know that kingdom always has to be a literal kingdom. But it's what rules over your life, what directs your life. So if you're following along in the notes, kingdom is anything that directs your life and decisions. Kingdom is what directs your life and decisions. For them, it was their ability to understand what's going to happen. How do we proceed? What's it for us? What directs your life? How do you make your decisions? Maybe it's your family. You look at your kids' you know, practice schedule, like, okay, we got to do this, this, and this, and they're, 
There it is. That's what directs your life. Or maybe it is your job. And you've got to put in 60 or 70 hours a week. That, that's what directs your life. Maybe it's the desire for success. I've got to have that dream house. We've got to make sure our family's all set up well for the rest of their lives. Success. Or maybe it's respect or popularity. Maybe it's a cancer diagnosis. And this is not something you wanted. It was imposed on you, but, and this is where you're oriented to. Maybe it's infertility. You and your spouse can't see the way forward. We're trying, but nothing seems to be happening. There are these things in our life, some that we can control and some that we can't, that, that orient us, that direct us on how we proceed. So I think this text comes back to that idea that we all are oriented to something. We're all led by something. We all follow something. Something directs us. What is it? What should it be? I think what God is trying to say to us is that it's his kingdom. We need to be oriented to his kingdom because that's the direction of history. That's where things are going, and he wants us to be on board with that. That's why he tells us it's all happening. So we finally get kind of this big idea of what what this passage is about, what this sermon's about, and it's this, if you're following along in the notes. God reveals to reorient our lives. God reveals to reorient our lives. That's why God is telling us all that that's happening. He wants us to know that this is the direction I want your life to to, to head. This is the direction that history is going. I want you to join in. That's why he reveals. That's why he tells us to reorient us to his kingdom. Now, some of you, maybe this feels like good news. You're like, man, I, I don't want this cancer. I, 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 this is such a burden to me. What is the way forward, God? This is a message of hope for you. When faced with sickness, with death, when you're at the end of your rope and you don't know what to do, God says, I will reign. My kingdom will triumph. This is where everything is heading. Maybe that is the good news for you. There is hope. There is something on the other side. That is the good news. Uh, But maybe you feel like this isn't such good news. You feel like, I like my life the way it is. I like being in control. Here's your kingdom. And God says, all these kingdoms are going to wipe away and my kingdom's going to last. This doesn't have to be bad news to you. Because remember, God is revealing to us to reorient us. And so he's offering you a choice. Right now, he's offering you the invitation, come join my kingdom. Join up with where history is going. You can be a part of it. Maybe you've never made that choice before. You have the opportunity right now to do that. God is offering that to you. Because it can become good news. 
all of this plays out for Nebuchadnezzar. If we look in verse 30, we see what God has been doing in revealing this to Daniel. In verse 30, he says, As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and you may understand what went through your mind. The whole purpose is so that Nebuchadnezzar would know and understand. Now, before we get too far down this road, um, the word know or understand, we, we tend to think of it up here, right? You know, knowledge, ideas, cognitively. But I think what, what Daniel means and what the sense of the Hebrew is more of a full life buy-in. So if you're following along in the notes, it might be helpful to think about it this way. It's not just mental grasping, but it's reorienting our lives. Not just mental grasping, but reorienting our lives. It's not just information, but it's actually changing the way we live. And I think that's what Daniel, what God, is trying to do with this dream. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, when it's all said and done, he makes this proclamation. You can see this in the third gray box on your message notes. Surely your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. Nebuchadnezzar had this opportunity, and he got it, but he didn't get it. See, what happens next is we see the fiery furnace in chapter 3. We'll get to that next week. And then the week after, God humbled him. He was still like, I'm king of my kingdom. And God's like, well, let me show you that you're not. And that's what happens in chapter 4. So look, look forward to that story. It's going to be awesome to see that play out. How God helps Nebuchadnezzar get to this full understanding of living it out. But we're faced with a choice. We have the opportunity right now to join into his kingdom. If we don't, we're going to miss the boat. God shows us that his kingdom is here. It came in Jesus, and it's growing into the full mountain. And it's going to push everything out. And it's going to be just his kingdom. And if we don't join that, we're going to miss it. History is going this way, and this is what he wants us to know. He wants us to make that choice to take up the invitation. But maybe you are here today, and you're like, yes, I want to do that, or I have been doing that. That's so good, because I think that's exactly what God wants of us. But it's a continual process, isn't it? I I think one word that maybe captures best what reorientation looks like is trust. It's trust. Daniel modeled this for us in this story. And I think there are three ways that we can play this out as we grow in our trust of the Lord. And so if you're following along in the notes, reorienting to trust looks like prayer, praise, and priorities. Prayer, praise, and priorities. The first thing that Daniel does when he's confronted with his execution, as he prays. He goes to God because he knows that God has the power and he doesn't. He goes in prayer. And and what I think is playing out here is, is he's connecting with the Lord. He's relating to him. That's what prayer is. It's relating to the one who is in control, who loves us, who reveals. So he prays. He also praises God. After he receives the revelation, 
He praises him. He gives us this great song. I think worship is such a helpful way for us to orient to his kingdom because it puts us in a posture of humility. It puts us in a posture of humility. We, we see how big God is when we worship him. We proclaim that to him, and it does something in our hearts and our minds that we now understand who he is. And I think finally, priorities. We see in the dream that ultimately God's kingdom will reign. That is the priority. So we're called to seek his kingdom first. So how you use your time, how you use your energy, where do you spend your, your, your thoughts and your, your, your feelings? It's seeking his kingdom first. So what this maybe looks like, especially for those that are faced with sickness, uh, faced with the loss of a loved one, I think this can give us courage. Courage to realize that there's something on the other side of what's happening. We can face it knowing that the Lord is with us. Or maybe, you know, it's, it's infertility. We know that God is at work. There's a plan. Even though we can't see it, we can trust him. It might be hard. We might not see what we want to see. But God is at work. He does care for us. Or maybe it's family tension. Navigating difficult relationships with friends. How do we love like Jesus? I think all of these things, going to prayer, giving it to the Lord, relating to him, acknowledging him in praise, worship, bringing ourselves humbly to him, and seeking his kingdom provides us with a way to reorient. There are, there are a variety of other ways that we could describe trust, but I think that's what it is. I think that's what this text is calling us to do, to reorient to God's kingdom. Imagine if, imagine if our lives were characterized by that. What would that look like if our church family lived this out? It's better, I promise. <laughs> we get to look like Jesus. And I think that's what happens when we orient to his kingdom. We look more and more like Christ. Allow God to love us and to love others through us. We begin to reflect his kingdom in all that we say and do. And the mountain grows. We get to be a part of that. That's where history is going. So the final question I want to throw at you is, if you're following along in the notes, will I reorient all of my life for God's kingdom? Will I reorient all of my life for God's kingdom? What does it look like in this particular moment of my life to submit myself to him, to practice prayer, praise, and work on my priorities? These are all expressions of trust that help us to reorient to his kingdom because God is all about us knowing that, being reoriented. That's why he reveals God reveals to reorient us to his kingdom. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you so much that you reveal. That you love us enough to show us who you are. And that you teach us what life can look like. Thank you for Daniel, Lord. Thank you for working in his life. And for giving us this story that we can understand you better. Lord, help us to reorient ourselves to your kingdom in every aspect of our lives. 
Lord, some of us have never done that. We get the opportunity to begin today. Some of us have been doing this for years. And Lord, you're going to help penetrate into every aspect of our lives. Thanks, God, for loving us like that. Thanks for revealing yourself to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.